Hey everybody, Connect, how you guys doing? Pastor D here. I am so, so excited that you are with me today online, wherever you are, around the world, here in country, or right around us locally. Uh, welcome to Connect Church. My name is Pastor Derek. Everybody calls me PD. I want to get into the word right away. Let me just say quickly, um, you know, kind of by way of uh, introduction to today's message. You know, when I was a young boy, I loved to ball. Okay, and I, I was decent baller, had handles, streaky shot. I can remember one time in my yard, my, my father had built a basketball uh, hoop and he attached it to a tree. And I shot one of my better shots, so I thought, shanked it, bounced up off the back of the rim, and then above the backboard, caught into between two branches in a tree, my basketball. I couldn't play any more ball. There was nothing to do. What am I, how am I going to get there? And so I ventured crazily up the tree, climbed it, and it's the winter time. You know, I'm one of those crazy ballers. I had the cutoff, you know, um, you know, kind of uh, gloves so I could get the little fingertips while I'm shooting the ball. And I'd play out in a, you know, low level of snow and just work on foul shots and jump shots. And I'm climbing this tree and I slip and I fall. And I fall on my head. And I have a really bad fall. I almost pass out. Um, I'm seeing stars. I did the very thing you shouldn't do. My parents aren't home. I got in the shower and just kind of brain dead in there. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But I had this big, big cut on my head. Next morning I wake up and it's just huge. And I go to school and everybody's like, you okay, you okay? And then there was other kids that weren't like, are you okay? They were like, they kept calling me Ukraine, Ukraine, like cranium, but Ukraine, the country, because the, the indentation and the mark and the scab looked like the country Ukraine. I'll never forget as long as I live. Everybody called me Ukraine. And, you know, got into class and the teacher said, man, that was quite a fall. That was quite a fall, man. And that made me think, today I'm going to talk to you about the fall of man and this fall was quite a fall. So before we get into today's message, I want to remind those of you that are watching, uh, we have a huge event coming up on June 6th. We have our outdoor service. Everybody is welcome to be there. It's an all play, all locations, our entire church. Uh, we can meet at full capacity outside. Praise the Lord. We're going to be able to meet at full capacity anyway really soon. Don't miss the June 6th service. I've got a special announcement, a follow-up to the vision videos that have gone out recently. also want to remind you we have small groups coming up, summer small groups. You want to jump in now, shop, and look for the right group for you. Don't, don't miss it. Okay? So listen, back to... The fall of man. We are in a series that I started on Mother's Day that's going to run through to Father's Day. Mother's Day, uh, we started the series dedicated to men, men of God. That's really the heartbeat of this series is to make men men of God, to inspire men to lead as men of God. And we discovered in week one uh, on Mother's Day that behind every great man is a great mom. We studied the life of Moses and we studied the life of Jochebed. Uh, Moses' mom. And then in week two, we talked about this idea, which is really kind of the main uh, theme or big idea throughout the whole series, that there are a lot of males in the world, but not necessarily a lot of men. God is looking for men. He went into the garden and he called out, Adam, Adam, where are you? Not because he was trying to figure out where he was by location, 
but more by position. Had he, had he uh, lost his position or was he lost, you know, um, by location? No, he wasn't lost by location. God could have found him in the blink of an eye. He was like, where you at, Adam? What's going on with you? And he continues to look for man in the book of Ezekiel, our theme text, chapter 22, verse 30, reading from the Amplified, and I'll paraphrase it. It says that God was looking for a man. He was looking for a man to kind of stand in the gap, to, to, to sit under the weight, as we talked about last week. And if he would, the land would be okay. It would be the culture, the world in which we live in would be okay. If he didn't, things would go bad. But God said he couldn't find anyone. And that's kind of the condition of much of the world today. God is looking throughout the whole earth, seeking men of God. So I want to inspire those of you who are listening online today, those who are listening via YouTube, Facebook, however you are, online platform, uh, around the world. Listen, God is calling men of God. I'm calling you to stand up, to rise up, to lead in your sphere of influence, to lead in your marriage, to lead in your family, to lead yourself so all of those things can be possible. But today I want to unpack where it all went wrong. That's kind of like the motto of today. The fall of man is uh, a um, kind of overarching statement in Genesis chapter 3 where everything started to fall apart. And what is introduced in Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of the first family. The first family isn't Joe and Jill Biden's family. The first family is Adam and Eve and then eventually um, their children after that. And God set it up in the garden that they would have, it was utopia. It was, uh, it was, they were blessed in every way, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically. They were totally blessed until, dum-dum-dum, uh, sin entered the world. And when that, that happened, the world began to be systematically, uh, systematically unraveled. It, it, it was fractured, it was broken, and everything thereafter uh, began to fall apart and break apart as well. And so, unfortunately, because of the fall of man, as Adam and Eve's offspring, as their descendants, we've inherited certain characteristics, certain uh, propensities, natural propensities, as a result of the fall of the first family, as a result of Adam's sin, I would say, primarily as the ultimate uh, the, the person who is ultimately responsible, as we talked about last week. Don't miss last week's message as we talk about uh, man's responsibility. So write this down if you're taking notes. Um, and this is kind of an unusual big idea. But we all carry, you and I carry, biological and spiritual characteristics from Adam and from Eve because we're all descendants of them. Uh, one man's sin introduced sin for all generations. And, and it's created a problem. And so regardless of your, your tribe, your nationality, your ethnos, your ethnic group or whatever, we all, because of our uh, uh, alignment with and because we all come under that first family, have certain spiritual and biological characteristics as a result. And we need to know and understand what they are in order to overcome them. And so today is digging into uh, the primary characteristics of those uh, of the fall of man, the results of the fall of man, where it all went wrong so we can in turn fix it. Now, our culture today, in particular within the nucleus of the family, uh, we see the spiral 
of pain and problems within the family. It's this slippery slope. And so we've got to put a stop payment to those things uh, as Christ followers, as Christian families, as Christian men and women of God. But God's original plan was that through Adam, the, the earth would be blessed. But it failed through the first Adam, and it was achieved and redeemed through the second Adam. That statement will be kind of our opening and close to this message today. Look, though, at the... Um, Look, though, at what Jesus did and what Jesus brought to those of us who are in Christ. Acts 2.35, the second part of the verse says this. Uh, it should show up on the screen. By your offspring. Whose offspring? Jesus' offspring. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, in your notes, you can put bonus text. You can look in Romans 5, where it says, because of one man's sin, everybody else, uh, you know, life was jacked up. But because of one man's um, Success because of one man's ransomed life for the sins of humanity, all those after that could be blessed. And so that's what this, really the beginning and end of this message is all about. But we got to understand what happened because I don't think if we understand, um, we won't be able to uh, specifically address and fix some of the unique problems that manifest themselves in, um, in our human experience. And we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 3 where the fall of man uh, transpired. And before we read, you need to know the context. Adam uh, was in a perfect relationship with God. Uh, God would come and they would walk and talk in the garden in the cool of the day. Everyone, everything was blessed. And after this fall, everything and everyone uh, was cursed. Genesis 3 verse 1 is what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of the tree in the garden. Remember, we talked about that last week, the two trees. We have the, the Google tree and the God tree. And the woman said to the serpent, yeah, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you even touch it or you will die. You will be separated from God. But the serpent said to the woman, now notice this, he directly defies what God said. He says, you will not surely die. Then he does something unique. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Uh, you will um, be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan doesn't appeal to the external normal temptations. He appeals uniquely, strategically to Eve's desire to be like God. And then he says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. Yeah, that's all important. And that the tree uh, was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of it. She ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. He's standing there watching the whole thing. And he eats the fruit along with it. Yo, Adam, where you at? What is going on with you? He, he doesn't step up. He doesn't do what we talked about last week. He doesn't do what he was designed, what he was commissioned to do, which was protect and to guard the garden, to cultivate it, but also to guard it from snakes. Snakes represent problems. We talked about that last week. He did not take responsibility and look what happened. Sin got into the garden through this snake. Now, 
even more specific, though, and that's what I want to, so we don't oversimplify this message. The better question is what happened? Sin entered the world, Pastor. Yes. But what came with the sin? That's what we want to unpack today. I want you to understand it because it's going to help you in a big way. And so the primary characteristics of the fall of man, these, these different uh, um, propensities, natural inclinations as a result of, of man's fall, of specifically Adam's lack of responsibility and Eve's uh, being deceived. Eve was deceived. Uh, here's what happened. Three things happened. Number one, shame came. Shame came. Turn to your neighbor and say, shame came. Write it in the chat. Shame came. Now, the need, write, write this down too, the need lost from shame is what, we, is what man needs. One of his three basic needs is what, uh, there's three things that we lost and there were three things that we all need. What, when shame came, the need that was lost was intimacy. Intimacy, intimacy. We, we, uh, intimacy is you see me as I really am and you still love me. You know the real me. I'm fully known. That's what intimacy is, to be fully known. And this shame game is the number one play of the serpent. It's the number one play of the serpent. Shame says, kind of if it had a motto, shame says, leave me alone. I want to be alone. Look, now Genesis 3, 7. Look, let's read and continue. It says, now the eyes of them were both opened and they, they knew they were naked. They then sewed fig leaves together from what they got in the garden. They covered themselves, and they heard as a result, after, just after that, God come into the garden, and he's walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife could hear him, and so they hid themselves from the presence of God, parentheses, for the first time. And among the trees they hide. And then the Lord God calls to Adam, not Eve, not, all, not both of them, Adam, where are you? Again, not I can't find you. It's where are you? You are not owning this, taking responsibility. <coughs> you're, you're hiding when you should be leading. And so Adam replied, I heard your voice, God, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So God responds with a question. He says, Adam, who on earth told you you were naked? Now, notice that the first thing that happened when sin entered the world, the reaction to sin's entrance into the world was to hide. Not to be known, but to be covered, to hide. To hide from God, and we'll see eventually, not just from God, but from each other. Revelation 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. See, we don't see so clearly when we're hiding in darkness. Hmm. Now, I understand this feeling of shame. I can remember as a young boy, a simple uh, illustration, but I remember, I, I remember being very young. I was very small, believe it or not. I remember being scared when I would be changing, putting on different clothes, putting on a bathing suit. I remember being scared of kind of being seen, being, you know, uh, if I was naked, being seen, and, and I'd be changing my clothes. Why? Because I remember one time when I was really young, I was changing like in a, a small room, and, and these older brothers opened the door right when I was like buck naked, you know, I was in my, my, my baby suit, you know, and 
and they started laughing at me because I was so skinny. I looked like a human x-ray, as they would say. And, 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 and I remember being ashamed. Now, I'm not that skinny boy anymore. I've since overcome that. And, and, but I carried some of that shame into my older years, even into early adulthood. And I had this fear as a result of shame, um, being exposed instead of being known. And before this time in history, Adam and Eve were very comfortable um, being naked. They were very comfortable. They felt no shame. They had no fear. They were completely open and transparent with God. But when sin came, shame came. And they wanted to be alone. They wanted to be separate. They wanted to be hidden. Now, if you think about it, two married people in a garden, nobody else is there. What's there to be afraid of? What's there to hide from? Is it the monkeys in the trees going, oh, laughing at you? <laughs> you know, no. Is it some, the dog they were with making, no, nobody's making fun of you. You know why they felt that way? It's because there was a, a sense of shame. It's a, or you could say, um, a spirit of shame came in as a result of violating God's will and God's ways. And it, it came over us uh, at that time spiritually and also physically. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to not be modest, okay? If anybody comes to church in the next couple of weeks without their clothes on, we're going we're gonna to send you on your way and probably call, you know, the funny farm for you. But if you're here... Um, um, you know, and, and you have that sense of shame. God wants to release you from that. And so shame was a big problem then. Shame causes us to want to, in essence, do things without God and without each other. But God created us to be interdependent beings. Not independent, not codependent, interdependent. We are connected to God and each other in order to be healthy. And the solution to the removal, the poison of shame, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ really like a robe of righteousness. When you receive what Jesus did for you, it's almost like you put on a bathrobe of righteousness. He covers your shame. He covers your spiritual uh, uh, nakedness, as it were. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of of righteousness. I hope you get a picture of what Jesus gives you in relationship with him as he covers that nakedness. Now, I used to struggle with shame. Many of you used to struggle with shame. A lot of reasons we do uh, or, have, or that is the case is usually connected to some form of immorality. Now, we live in a world of amorality. That means that people don't even know right from wrong. But for those of us who grew up, let's say, a little bit earlier in life, a little bit, been around here a little bit longer, we knew right from wrong when we did it. That's called immorality. And that immorality uh, often is accompanied by a sense of shame. Often immorality, um, the ash of it is the voice of the serpent saying, for me, if I lived an immoral life and I knew what was right and I did wrong, the voice of the serpent would say, you can't be used from God. You can't be used by God right now. You, uh, you lost your salvation. That was a big one for me as a young man. And it would cause me to hide from God instead of run to God. And the serpent loves that. The serpent loves that when we come under that condemnation instead of conviction. By the way, 
Conviction is when the Holy Spirit's telling you, come, come, come closer. Condemnation is when we don't attend to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we run away from God. That's what happens. But I thank God for accountability. I thank God for biblical ministry. I thank God for places of safe harbor like Connect Church can provide for people where you can be fully known and not have it all worked it out, not have it all worked out yet. You don't have to. You, it's okay to not be okay uh, in our church, and thank God for that. We're the perfect church uh, for imperfect people, as we say. But people, people who often struggle with sexual immorality in particular, often struggle with a strong sense of shame. And it affects intimacy, a basic fundamental need that every a human being has. And it's been the Satan's secret sauce to keeping us sidetracked and sidelined for so long. And it really hits, in my opinion, those who, after they've been saved, than before they've been saved. Before, the, before we're saved, we're, 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 uh, we're unaware. We don't have that sin consciousness. But after, we do. And so we get tormented by the enemy because we know what we're doing is wrong. But we don't run to God. We run away from God. And so Satan and the serpent whisper to you and tell you that you're so bad. And no one else is as bad as you are. And it's a lie. But God, let me say that again. But God. God provides a way of escape. Uh, 1 Corinthians tells us in 10.13, No temptation has seized you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will make a way of escape so you can stand up under it. He will always give you a way out. And the way out for all of us is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from the sin before we're saved. It's the blood of Jesus that pays for our sins. It's also that same blood of Jesus that clears our conscience and wipes the slate clean, the chalkboard clean again after we've been saved. Can I have a man out there? And so Jesus bore your sin and he also bore your shame. So what, what are you hiding from? What are you hiding from? Number two, blame. Blame is a particular characteristic of the fall of man. The need lost from blame is security. One of the second basic need of a man, of humanity, of a man or a woman, man or mankind, is not only um, uh, intimacy, but security. Security. Now, blame has a motto. Blame says, I would have been fine on my own. I'm all by myself. I want to be. It, it says, I'm, I'm okay. Just, just, just me. Not you and I, just me, by myself. Now, Genesis 3 unpacks this. It says in verse 11 and following. Are you guys getting something out of this? Come on, give me some emojis in the chat. Uh, I'm, I'm going to see those. And he said, who told you you were naked? He's speaking to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree. And I ate of it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Turns to her. And she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, notice what happens here. Immediately, because of the fall, the sin, violating God's word and one commandment, you can have all this, but you can't do this one thing. Notice what happens is they're separated from God by shame and they're separated from each other by blame. Separated from God by shame, separated from each other by blame. Notice that what Adam does, in, in just one sentence, he blames two people. God, you gave me this woman. She gave that to me, and I ate it. 
He, he blames. He doesn't take responsibility. The, the antithesis of, 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 of taking responsibility is blaming God and others. I was doing fine, God, before you gave me this woman. When I was here by myself, everything was going great. She messed it all up. You messed it all up. It's her fault. It's your fault. Blame says it's your fault. I'm in this trap. Blame says this would have never happened had you not done this or you not done that. It's, it's, it's pointing the finger at everybody else, not realizing more fingers are pointed back. So write this in your notes. Shame brings blame, then blame brings separation. Blame brings separation. Look at the results of the fall of man and how this affects everything. So in the beginning, every person in the world had this perfect relationship with God. And as a result of the fall, blame comes in. We blame God and others. We say, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's God's fault. And God made, this, this is another thing people say, God made me this way. Think about where that applies in our society today. I was born this way. God did this to me. That's why this is, this is the way I am. So I have to make it okay because he did this to me. And so I have a very difficult time uh, with this one too. You know why? Because if you fall prey to shame, you always fall prey to blame as well. You might say things like, well, it's not my fault. You're in the minority group there because most people, most people blame others first. So who is responsible uh, to, to take care of this. Who was the one who could have changed all of this? You guessed it, Adam, the man. The man could have changed all of this. You know, when I was um, um, a young man, there was a couple in our church, and I remember the wife yelling at her husband and saying, and she was mad at him. She said, you know what? And there's an, it's another thing. The, the other thing is your mother-in-law. And he was like, you're talking to me? about my mother-in-law, that's your mother. I mean, she was so prone to blame. Another guy, uh, he said, his name was Fred Littower, and he had, uh, he had a wife and three daughters, and they were all arguing, and, and they were all frustrated with each other, and he came into the room while they're fighting. He said, ladies, 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 settle down. He was a man of God. He said, if I take responsibility, can we move on? And they were like, yeah. And, and if Adam had taken responsibility, could we have moved on? And the answer is yes. Why do we do this? We pass this on to our kids. We see this in Genesis 4. Cain blames Abel. This goes on and on and on. How did he learn to do that? God accepts his offering, doesn't accept mine. Where did he learn that? He learned that from his mom and dad. And we do the same thing in our families as well. I've seen this many times with, with my kids. You know, my kids, I remember my son was in high school. He was like, Dad, you know, it's not my fault. The teacher doesn't like me. In other words, that's why I got the bad grade, you know, uh, with my daughters, Madison, Mallory, Morgan. It's not my fault. They didn't do their part. That's why I didn't do my part. In other words, I know I had a part and a responsibility, but I'm not going to do that if they're not going to do that. And that's my excuse for getting out of that. How did they learn that? Well, they learned it a lot of times from the parents. These things get passed on. Why is there so much toothpaste in the sink? And why is it splattered all... It's not my fault. It was, and they blame somebody else. See, this is a problem in our society. This is the way we are in so many areas of life. Another word for blame is accusation. And do you know who is the uh, kind of the, 
the, the one who started this whole thing, where this accusation comes from, it comes from the serpent. It comes from the snake. It comes from Satan, who's known as the accuser of the brethren. Praise God, the Bible says the accuser of the brethren has been hurled down forever, and he's been overcome by the blood and the word of our testimony. But here's the pattern. You fall into shame, you eventually fall into blame. Let me ask you a question. Who are you blaming for your circumstances and situation? And how's that working out for you right now? Number three, write this down. The third characteristic as a result of the fall of man, it affects our ability, men and women, to be able to lead and inspire other people to do the same and to be men and women of God. Number three, fame. Fame. The need for fame. See, the need lost, the need lost for or from fame is significance. See, so here's the counterfeit of a, 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 a need that God put within man that's supposed to be met in relationship with God first is significance. The counterfeit is fame. Now, fame's motto is, I want to be known. I want to be known. I want to be famous. Not fully known like transparently, but actually externally, I want, to be, I want to be known. I want to be important. I want you to recognize, recognize. I want the biggest following. I want the biggest, you know, the, the most number of friends on Facebook. I, I, I want my TikTok to reach millions, whatever. In these verses, God outlines the curse which they bring upon themselves one by one. And I want you to notice what Adam does immediately after the fall of man. Many don't see the significance of this. And ladies, you're going to appreciate this. In Luke, it's not in Luke, but in Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, continuing in the, the theme text of the fall of man, verse 14 and 19 talk about this fall. And then in 20, something, something unique happens. It says this, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now, that doesn't sound bad. What's, what's unique about that? Here's what's happening. Adam immediately separates himself from his wife. Why? Well, see, first of all, God didn't name Eve Eve. Adam named Eve Eve and called her the mother of all living. So what was Eve's name before Adam named her Eve? What was Eve's name before the fall? Well, check this out. I'll unpack this in Scripture. Eve's name before the fall was Adam. Adam. Adam female, Adam male. They both were named Adam. Look in Genesis chapter 5 verse 2. It says, this is from the King James Version. Really what is known as the best translation of Holy Scriptures. It says, male and female created he them, them, and blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve, and called their, plural, name Adam. He called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Now the New King James muffs it up a little bit, changes it, and says he created them male and female and blessed them in the day that they were created. But the original translation says her name was Adam. And I dug into this deep. And, and her name was Adam. His name was Adam. So put this in context. Just before he names her, he's calling her 
Uh, flesh of my flesh, <laughs> bone of my bones. Whoa, man. You know, I mean, he's, he's excited. He is, he's feeling connected to her. But then in the very next chapter, he's separating from her and he gives her a name and he gives her a purpose. And he basically says women are from Venus and men are from Mars and, and she's going she's gonna, to uh, be naked, barefoot, and have babies. Okay? So why is it problematic that he calls her the mother of all living? Because Adam tells her her purpose. Adam tells her, you're going to have babies. I remember saying this to my wife, and I used to think it was a compliment, but now, in retrospect, I look at things differently, but it, meant to, it was meant to be a compliment. My wife had four children. She did it incredible. She was, so, she was so strong. I mean, wow, just wow. And so I used to just say, you are a freaking baby machine. And there's some truth to that, but there's some labeling in that as well. See, Adam was separating from his wife by giving her a name. Adam was separating from his wife by giving her a label. And so many women today in this world struggle to find their purpose and their significance. And many think the only purpose that must be what they're supposed to do is to be naked, barefoot, and produce babies. And I'm not saying motherhood is not a noble task. Don't misunderstand me. It absolutely is. It is an incredible, incredible responsibility. But to say that is your only call, or to say that is your primary call, I don't think it is. I don't think it's your highest calling. I don't think it's the highest calling of a man uh, just to be a dad. God has a calling and gift and purpose uh, for every purpose on this earth, for male and female. And I struggled with this idea at one time, but your highest calling, ladies, is not just to be a mother. I believe your highest calling, ladies and gentlemen, is to be a child of God. Your highest calling is to be a child of God. And so Adam wasn't the only one, by the way, who labeled. We've been doing that ever since, and it's created a problem. And so we're looking for fame. We're looking to, uh, for that significance in an unsanctified way. People come up to you, you go up to somebody else. Is that your brother? Uh, he was a really good ball player. I mean, he was really good. Are you a ball player too? Right away, we're starting to box them in and categorize them. Are you so-and-so's sister? Yeah, she was in my class. National Honor Society. Are you a good student just like she is? We're boxing them. They better be in order to get that approval, to get that fame. You better be, you know, National Honor Society. Are you a pastor's kid? Derek, are you a pastor's kid? Devin, you know, uh, uh, he, your dad was such a great guy. Your grandfather was such a great leader. Are you going to be a great leader? What do, we, what do we do when we put that pressure on people and we label people and we name people? You know what happens? They rebel. They rebel. Why? Because people deep down want to be known for something as an individual. And so kids... And people go the other way, even if it's bad, even if it's bad. We don't care if we're known as black sheep as long as we're known. That's why you can watch one of those America's Funniest Home videos, and you'll see a girl dancing, and she's doing all these crazy things. And then the boy will jump in in front of the video, picking his nose or doing something. He doesn't care if it was bad. He just, he just wants to be known. So in Genesis 3.16, we see this start right in the nucleus of the home, right inside the marriage, this competition, this tension. And, and, and here's the byproduct of this naming and labeling. It says the, the, the result, the, the ramifications, the outcome. It says in verse 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
as a result, your desire going forward shall be for your husband. I used to read, your desire shall be for your husband. Praise the Lord. That's not a curse. My wife's going to chase me around the room all the time. That's not what this is saying, everybody. So don't get excited, gentlemen. If you're a man, it sounds good, but it's not. It says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, that's clear. That's not good. Now, this word, you got to go back. When you look at an English word, you got to go back. and It doesn't always translate perfectly, so you got to go back and look at the original language. In the original language, the word is teshuka in Hebrew, and it means, it means to compete. Ultimately, it means to compete. It's contentious. It's, it's usurping uh, terminology. Uh, it, it, it's, it, we see this in Genesis 4 where uh, Cain and Abel are having a pro- Cain's having a problem with Abel and Cain's thinking about taking his brother out and God says to Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door and its, and its desire uh, is to rule over you. That's the same word, desire. It's that same word there, the root word, competition. So here are the effects, Adam. Here are the effects, men, of not taking responsibility. We have a loss of intimacy. We have a loss um, of security. And now we have a loss of significance. And so you see this manifest within the home where women will try to usurp the authority of men and men will try to dominate and rule their women. And we are seeing total competition for leadership in nearly every home in America today, all because of the fall of man. We see it in the kids. We see it with Cain and Abel. We see it. It's just, it's part of the fall. And I want you to understand that. But I want to encourage you as I wrap things up today, because I'm going to build a week upon week with this. But through one man, everything was cursed, Adam. But through one man, the curse was broken, Jesus, the second Adam. So in Christ, we are free from these patterns of sin. And so I don't know if you know Christ in the first place or if you're in intimate relationship with him. God wants to, before salvation, connect you to him. And after salvation, he, remember, he bore your sin and he bore your shame. So we have these biological and spiritual tendencies as a result of the fall of man. But as, as, as Jesus' offspring, all the families of the earth can be blessed. Jesus actually came into a family on purpose to fix the family for not only his, but all families thereafter. And one thing I've learned, that as I conclude today's message is, if you deal with this first problem, the other ones tend to go a little bit easier. You know the first one? The first one's shame. The first one is shame. Something about the enemy convinces me, you, and many, many people that you just can't get rid of that one very easy. It's almost like a tattoo. It's like it would take a long time to remove the effects of a tattoo, and it would take a long time to remove the effects or that sense of shame. And the devil used to convince me of that, and he's a liar as easily uh, or as, as easily as this, as immediately as this sense of shame can come upon you, it can easily and immediately uh, be gone from you. Are you hearing what I'm saying out there? If you can see what Jesus did, you can be free immediately. Let me, let me close with this text. This is Genesis 3.21. It says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God, this is after the fall, he, he made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Help me, Lord, unpack this. But this was a foreshadowing of God's progressive plan that would come to play in the future. Because of man's sin, Adam and Eve's fall, tunics, garments, 
were created to cover them in their nakedness and in their shame by the sacrificing of animals. And this was the beginning of a plan for God. But because sin kept happening, kept happening, kept happening, uh, they had to keep making sacrifices. In order, and, and, of course, man's attempt to, to deal with his sin was to cover himself with fig leaves. That was an imperfect and unsuccessful avenue to deal with shame. So God provides a way uh, through the sacrifice of a perfect, spotless, sinless animal. But it was not sufficient because it, it had to be done over and over and over again. So in God's ultimate plan, God's restorative process, what does he do? Well, ultimately, uh, he comes and he provides a once and for all sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. The, what we call the atonement for sin. And this process that he started uh, required continuous sacrifices, and, and, and God provides now this finished work through what Jesus did for us on Calvary. What is our requirement? To put our faith in that. To put our faith in that. It's no longer your works. It's no longer uh, your activity. It's your faith. It's transferring your trust to that finished work, that sacrifice, once and for all sacrifice. And so now when you Accept that by faith, you receive a robe of righteousness for your shame. The Bible says, with this garment, you are righteous. All you have to do is put it on by faith. So wherever you are around the world, somewhere in the United States, somewhere here locally listening, I want to remove that sense of shame because I believe that will begin the process of unraveling the negative effects and implications of the fall upon your life. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to bow your heads with me and I'd like to pray with you. Let me just tell you, you don't have to live with shame anymore. You don't have to practice blame. You don't have to look for fame. All of that can be found through faith in Jesus Christ. And as a start to this freedom process, for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, I want you to invite him into your life by saying this, say, Jesus, today, is the day of salvation for me. I receive, I receive your righteousness. I'm not righteous in me. My righteousness comes from you because of what you did as the once and for all sacrifice. You died. You paid for the sins of humanity, past, present, and future as uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. I receive that now by faith. Now, for those of you who prayed that prayer, the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. It's just like whatever was dark is now, is now made righteous. You just got a robe around you. You don't have to feel that shame anymore. Lord, I pray shame lift in Jesus' name over every person who's experiencing that and feeling that. Leave them right now in the name of Jesus. May they run to you, God, and not run from you. May they run to you, God, and not hide from you any longer in Jesus' name. Whether that's before salvation or after, I pray that prayer applies to you today. Now, if you made that decision, it's important that you tell somebody. There's people right there in the chat that want to pray for you. They are trained and equipped and have compassion to pray for you. Go and talk to them about what are those things that you're struggling with. Let them give you a next step. Now, if you have to go, let me say one thing. Let us help you on your spiritual journey. Would you text us at 
at CC saved to 97,000. CC, I just got saved, CC saved to 97,000. Text us that and then we're gonna send you a book. And this book's called What's Next. It's gonna tell you just that. What do I do now? I've made a decision. Basically, how do I become a disciple? I pray that that book changes your life. But let us know, let us pray for you. Raise your hand and say, that was me, I just made that decision. And then make sure you text us and make sure you let somebody pray with you. Let's have church, let it get a little bit more infinite, in, intimate in the chat. Now listen, I wanna encourage you. Get yourself in a local church. If you're not in one, you're far, too far from Connect, get yourself in a local church. If you're somewhere, anywhere within like 20 miles of here, you need to come on out to Connect Church. Uh, we, we've got plenty of room for you. We are, we are ready to support you and help you on your spiritual journey. That's our purpose is to take people on a life-changing spiritual journey. And we'd love to do life with you. Get in a group. They're coming up really, really, really soon. And I hope you can join us on June 6th for outdoor service. It's going to be one to remember. I love you guys. Thank you for being a part of this Men of God series. Share it. Give it away. Tell somebody what God did in your life. Amen. I'll see you guys soon. God bless.